Aren't you excited to be here and uh, to be in the house of God for about an hour and a half, two hours? Uh, aren't you excited about that? Yeah, I knew you'd fizzle out. That's all right. If I told you we'd go into overtime today, would you be excited? You know, uh, we wait for games to go into overtime, right? Some of the best games go into overtime for, for one team anyway. Uh, maybe the overtime is for me anyway. But uh, if you got your Bible, we're going to read in Revelation chapter number 8. And this morning we're going to be preaching about the seven trumpets. And uh, we're not going to try to tackle all seven trumpets this morning. You can go ahead and amen on that. And, uh, but we are going to try to get four of those things in here today. Um, I want to invite you back tonight. Uh, what I was going to tell you, uh, I, I told deacons that I've heard that some of you have been gossiping and rumoring. And so we're going to, uh, we're going to cover some of that tonight things that you've been saying, and so I want you to come back, and uh, just to make sure you're here, because if I tell you that, then I know you'll come. Uh, I'm just kidding, by the way. Y'all need to lighten up. Some of y'all are terrified going, <laughs> who, 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 told, who told them what I said, you know? It got real quiet, and your faces got really concerned, or something didn't settle with breakfast, and uh, y'all look like you got the stomach bug. Uh, I just figured if I said that, you would come back tonight, Right? Or if I told you we were going to vote on a new pastor coming in, then we'd get even people that haven't been here in years to come back. But uh, I desire for you to come back tonight. I'm going to be preaching a salvation message. Not, uh, it's going to be everywhere out there, but it's going to be uh, coming from this past Wednesday night. We talked about being in the hands of the gardener. And I told you that I was too cheap to buy that ficus tree at Hobby Lobby this Wednesday that they wanted $200 for. Uh, I'm not sure if I'd buy a fully grown tree for that. And or even a fast dog for two hundred dollars, but um, somebody called on Monday and said, "I found you one," and uh, I was like, "Well, I'm not paying two hundred dollars." No, I found it at the thrift store for nine bucks, and I was like, "Snatch that bad boy up! We'll have we'll have service Sunday night, amen." So uh, we're going to show some things tonight about being grafted, being saved, and so there's just three things, I want, and, I, and I'm excited about it. As you can tell, I'm so excited about it that I'm telling you about it on Sunday morning before I'm even preaching. So y'all pray that I won't get all into that this morning, and uh, I want you to come back. It starts at 6 o'clock. Uh, listen, wear comfortable clothes except for PJs. That's excluded. Uh, yoga pants, don't wear those. Um, some of those yoga pants are like yo-yo pants. They're stretched out, so don't wear those. Um, come back and be with us tonight, all right? Y'all pray, y'all stand with me and pray that God would help me to focus this morning. Ah, now listen, you might miss out on, on some gossip that's being told, so y'all come back tonight, right? But Revelation chapter number 8, and uh, if you remember, if you were here last, Wednesday, or last Sunday morning, we talked about the seventh seal opened up. And when the seventh seal opened up, it was like the scientist that opened up the atom. All this other stuff fell out of it. And uh, whenever they broke it apart, when that seventh seal was opened, there were seven trumpets that came out of it. And you would think that last Sunday it was real somber. Some, some folks told me that it was real solemn assembly last Sunday morning, real quiet, real calm. And sometimes the Lord speak to it, speaks to us that way. And we learned last Sunday morning that um, there may be some men, women, small children, and people that ask a lot of questions that may not make it to heaven because of verse 1 of chapter 8 that says there will be silence in heaven for about the space of half an hour. And so some people may not make it because they can't be quiet that long. But it was real quiet because it was the prayers of the saints. And you would think that when they opened that, when Jesus opened that seventh seal, that hopefully they were thinking, is this it? Is the wrath and the judgment of God complete? Is it finished? 
Um, and then seven trumpets came out. But don't let that discourage you. Look at chapter number 8, verse number 7. The Bible says, The first angel sounded, and there followed hell and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth. It says, And the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain, it looked like a great mountain burning with fire, it was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea that had life or in, and had life, they died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10, it says, And the third angel sounded that trumpet, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. It says, And it fell upon the third part of the rivers, the fresh waters, and upon the uh, fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called, look, it has a personal name. It starts with a capital W, Wormwood. It says, and the third part of the waters became wormwood, and many men died because of the waters and because that they were made bitter. And verse number 12 and 13 says, And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and as the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We, we do love you with all of our heart. God, in their scriptures and in this book that we have and that we've held on to, some, as Brother Brandon sang about uh, this morning with the choir, some have held on them since they were children in Sunday school. And sometimes they get to these hard, difficult parts of the Bible and, and want to just kind of put it away for a moment, put it out of their mind. But God, help us during these hard times to understand what you're teaching us, to understand what the Scriptures say. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand that there are words of encouragement in the Bible, that when we are going through difficult times and sorrows, sicknesses even, Lord, that you, we find comfort in the Word of God. But there's also times where you tell us uh, uh, great warnings and you show us that we need to be prepared and we need to be ready. Lord, we ask you to be with us this morning in everything that we say and do. And to God be all the glory, for it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You can be seated. This morning, I want to preach to you about those seven trumpets, uh, about four of them. And if you look, this is what we'd call the shofar, the ram's horn. This is what they would blow. And if you were here last Sunday morning, you remember that we talked about that the reason they would blow those ram's horns because it was actually the closest sound that they could mimic that they heard that was on Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, the Bible says there was lightnings and thunderings, and there was smoke, there was hail, there was fire that was falling down. We know that also that there was a line drew down on the bottom of it, all the way on the base of the mountain, and that if any animal, beast, or children, or, or age would cross over that line, what would happen? They would die. The Bible says that the children of Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. As they were wandering around in the wilderness, they actually wasn't, we look at it as wandering in the wilderness, but actually they were waiting in the wilderness. They were in the waiting room because why? They disobeyed God, and because of their unbelief, God said everyone that's the age of Caleb and Joshua and younger will go into the promised land, but everyone that is the age above them will not go in because of their unbelief. It really didn't have anything to do with, okay, the 40 and older crowd, you just don't get to go because we don't need you. It was because those that were older didn't believe. And you say, I wonder why that those that were older didn't believe. It could have been because they had been so hardened by being in Egypt and in the sinful part of the world there that they became, became so accustomed to it and so used to it that those were the ones that longed to go back to Israel. You remember while they were, I mean, to Egypt. You remember that while they were out in the wilderness that they were eating the manna 
And they said, we're done with this loaf bread. We're done with this white bread. We, we're, fin we're, we're up to our full with this, or our crawls are filled with this, if you want to say it in the South, right? And said, we're, we're done with this. We, when we were in Egypt, we had potatoes and garlic. We had all this other stuff. And God told them, said, well, you can't go in. And those trumpets that they mimicked and they made out of the ram's horn, they call them shofar. There's some that are long and twisted like this one. There's some that are just one curvature. And they would blow them as a sign of worship. They were saying that it would open the windows of heaven. They blew them as a sign of war to gather the people together. They blew them as a sign of getting the people to come to the tent of meeting, which was the tabernacle. And they would blow those trumpets to get them to come together to worship God. And in these seven trumpets, church, there's things that we want to see. The first thing that I want you to see in verse number six right there is that these angels are ready to sound. Look at verse number six of chapter number eight. The Bible says, and the seven angels, which had the seven, seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you that count ceiling tile in here and that your mind drifts a little bit. Who is that? Raise your hand. Go ahead. You know who you are. Just go ahead and raise your hand. There's only one truthful person in here, two truthful, three people. There's others in here. They're just lying. Uh, I know that immediately whenever I said that there were seven angels, you began to sing the Willie Nelson song, Seven Spanish Angels, right? Some of you did. Some of you, I know, thought about that. No, not today, he says. We're going to do that for invitation, by the way, but uh, uh, I'm just teasing. Listen, these angels of God, they're executors of God's judgment and God's wrath. That's the thing that, let me say something to time out real quick. Everybody wants everything rosy and simple from God. When we think about God today, we think of, of no judgment, no wrath. Even in the church, people holler it out all the time, don't judge me, don't judge me. I have to tell you that the Bible says that you need to humble yourself, therefore, in the sight of the Lord. Because if you don't humble yourself now and allow him to do what? To correct you and to judge you now, you will be judged. There's no getting past the judgment of God. There's no getting past the wrath of God. We've got to understand in our society today that God being a judge and God being a ruler and God inflicting his judgment upon the earth is holy and it's righteous. It's not wrong of God to do that. It has been so wonderfully told to you for years and years and years that you come and trust God. And if you reject, then you will suffer his punishment and his judgment and so it's just the way that it is and these seven angels are ready and I want to ask you the same question that I left out with last Sunday is that are you ready as they've prepared themselves to sound the trumpet have you prepared yourself to meet the Lord and I'm not saying have you prepared yourself to be here during the tribulation time and to hear the seven trumpets I've hoped that you've prepared yourself no to stand before God in Christ Jesus his very only begotten son who did what with his blood he saved you with his power. He can raise you so that you'll stand before God and not be ones that hear this trumpet. I want you to know something before we get started. Some people put these trumpets right here in the same category with the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Bible says in Thessalonians also chapter number 4 that it says that we will be raised. That these bodies, corruptible bodies will be raised. And it says at the trump of God, the last trump. So they look at it as, okay, there's seven trumpets in Revelation. So at that seventh one, that's when the rapture actually takes place. And that's why people teach that we will be here during half of the tribulation, but not the latter.
latter half of it all. But I want to show you something that the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians. It says that God has delivered us from the wrath which is to come, the hour of wrath that is to come. The Bible also says that we shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the trump of God, the last trump of God. When it sounds, we will be called up together to meet him in the air. You say, well, Brother Steve, it has to be that trumpet. But in chapter 4 of Revelation, we talked about that he said that I heard the voice who spoke with me at the beginning, talking about the voice of Jesus Christ. And he says, and his voice was as what? John described the voice of Jesus, number one, as the voice of many waters. And what that means is, is that when he speaks, listen, you will listen. And he is a lot greater than E.F. Hutton. And if you don't know who that is, then ask somebody older than you, okay? Because when he speaks, everybody listens, even E.F. Hutton, right? Everybody listen to me. Whenever God speaks, you'll not be able to speak over him. It'll be like talking back to a waterfall or having a conversation underneath the falls that are roaring on there. But the second thing it says... The voice who spoke with me from the beginning, the voice was like many waters, but it says the voice was as a trumpet. And the trumpet sound sounds like this, come up hither, amen? So we're not going to be here, church. We're not going to be here, believers, than Jesus Christ, that he saved you, he has raised you, he will raise you at that last day. We're not going to be here during the halftime of these seven trumpets or the halftime of this tribulation period. We're going to be called out in the beginning with the voice of Jesus Christ. Why? My sheep hear my voice, amen? So we'll be called out. But you've got to be prepared. I want to leave you with this. Listen, we prepare ourselves for everything. You lay your clothes out. You get everything ready. A person that works on a building draws blueprints. A person that works on a vehicle lays out tools, gets everything ready, parts, all this stuff. You do the same thing with your children. You prepare them. You teach them how to walk. You teach them how to eat. You teach them how to talk. And God knows we need to do better at that. You teach them how to catch a ball, throw a ball, and do all these things. But have you prepared your family for eternity? Have you prepared your family in the same way that these angels are prepared to sound these trumpets? Because someday, church, these trumpets are going to ring out. They're going to sound out. Look at what the scripture says. It says in verse number 6 that they prepared themselves. You know what? We always joke around. My dad, my dad's always been big cut up and, and joke if you know my dad. We've always talked about... You know, he said whenever he passes, we're going to sew up in the lining of the coffin, of the casket. We're going to sew it up. It says, here lies the shell. The nut's gone to be with Jesus, right? Amen. Uh, put it on mine. He's gone, right? You know what would be good? He prepared himself. She prepared themselves. They were prepared to meet God. Amen. Listen, this is right here is what's going to happen, that these trumpets are going to ring out. They're going to blast. They're going to come out in such a way. And listen, I don't, I don't know how y'all feel about every first Wednesday of the month in Alabama. You know what I mean? But I know how our dog does. I know that he doesn't like it very much or he thinks something's happening outside. There's nothing like it. Listen, I understand in, in uh, September, uh, maybe in August, it really doesn't bother me that bad because immediately I've, got, I've not got that on my mind. You know what I mean? I don't have tornado season on my mind. But about February, March, and April, on that first Wednesday, the first thing you do is, oh, it's the first Wednesday. You know what I mean? None of y'all do that? Yes. You need to be prepared, right? <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm not fully prepared. James Spann goes around and does what? Shows everyone his suspenders. Let's everybody know it's serious business. What does he do? He gives you weather radios. He does all these things so that what? So that you'll be ready. 
So you be ready. Why? Because when the tornado actually comes, you don't have time to get everything ready. You're in chaos. You don't know what's going on. Church, listen. When these trumpets ring out, when they start sounding, you won't have time to get prepared then. And you're not promised that you can get ready then. As we look at these, let's look at these four. Number one, the first one we're going to see is that the first trumpet rings out against the land or against the earth. The Bible says in verse number seven, look what it says. The first angel sounded, and there followed hell and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. The Bible says that this first trumpet that sounded against the earth, everything dealt with something natural. It dealt with trees. It dealt with grass. It dealt with the things of the earth. God now, listen to me, God now is going to judge the earth. When the seals were opened up, what did we see? We saw the Antichrist coming on the scene. We saw martyrs being beheaded, right? We saw the people whose, whose soul, they were crying out from underneath the altar. We saw in the sixth seal what was, what was taking place. There were earthquakes and all kinds of things that were happening in different places. But the Bible says now that in this first trumpet that blows, that comes out of that seventh seal, the first trumpet that blows, that all this stuff is coming against the earth. You know what it makes me think of? If you were here last Wednesday or last Sunday, you remember that that angel went before the altar, not the golden altar inside where the prayers of the saints were, but went to that altar that was out front, that brazen altar that had the fire-soaked coals. Do you remember what we left off with? It says that he filled up that censer with the coals, Brother Reggie, from that fire, and that he cast them to the earth. Do you remember that? Now think about now. The Bible says that there is what that comes to the earth? It says there is hell, fire, and it's mingled with blood. And it seems that that angel, Brother Carl, has taken those hot coals off of that center of heaven, which is symbolic of what? Of the sacrificial altar where the blood dripped down on those fiery coals, saying that what? That lamb took your place, and if you reject him, then the fire will be upon you and not upon that lamb. But that blood of that lamb you'll be trampling over and it will actually, listen, you can either accept the blood of Jesus as your substitutionary sacrifice for your sins and to cleanse you or you can trample over it and walk out on it, right? And so that angel takes that censer last Sunday and throws it to the earth and now we look as that first trumpet is blown. Here it is that it says that there's hell and there's fire and it's mingled with blood and it's cast to the earth and the trees are burned up and the grass is burnt up. You know what it reminds us of? It actually reminds us of Egypt. This first trumpet that blows actually reminds us of the seventh plague that was upon Egypt. Do you remember there were ten plagues that were upon Egypt? And that seventh plague that was on Egypt was what? Hell and fire that came down. And you, ought to, you know, church, listen, hailstorms were small balls or, or even golf balls or softball size comes down upon buildings and upon people, it devastates everything. If you don't trust me, listen, maybe you should take a trip and ask some of those people at Mitch Smith Chevrolet in, in Coleman. It blew out all the windows of all the places up there. It, the hailstorm just kind of messed up every vehicle that was up there. Listen, church, the Bible says this destruction is going to come to the earth. But then if that's not enough, there's something else that's taking place. I want you to look. There's this, there's this theme that keeps reoccurring through there. It says, the angel sounded, 
And it says, And hell and fire mingled with blood was cast down upon the earth. But read that with me. It says, And the third part of the trees were burnt up. And the third part of the green grass was burned up. All of that green grass, all of that that was going on. A third part of the earth was affected by this first trumpet. But then there's a second trumpet. And the second trumpet is ringing out against the seas of the earth. Against the oceans, against the salt waters. And the Bible says what? Look with me at verse number 8. And the second angel sounded. And as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And the third part of the sea became blood. Look at that scripture. It says that it wasn't a great mountain. But it says it was like a great mountain. Now here's where people, especially in pastors and commentators and stuff like that. uh, Sometimes they disagree with one another. You know what I mean? And, and, and if you watch any kind of sports, you understand commentators are made to kind of make you disagree sometimes. And, 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 and some, sometimes they make you grit your teeth. Sometimes they make you nauseous. But anyway, um, looking at this, different people say, well, Brother Steve, that could be like a nuclear bomb that's falling into the ocean, that it's like a mountain, uh, that it comes up and it looks like a huge mountain that's exploding and all of these other things. And, and while it's okay, I don't sit around and just beat my head against the people that look at things like that. I want you to understand that these things are things that John is seeing, but yet has not happened yet. And too many times we try to explain things by what we kind of know, but has not happened yet. And these things are being trumpeted. These things are being uh, uh, they're the wrath of God and the judgment of God coming to the earth. They're not the wrath of men or women, but they're the wrath of God that's coming upon the earth. Amen. Uh, the hell and the fire mingled with the blood is something that only God could do. This also, I believe, that he says something like a mountain is being thrown out into the sea. And if you read the scriptures, you'll understand that Babylon, Old Testament, Babylon was known as the mountain. They were known as the fiery mountain of evil. They were known, uh, nowadays they're not called Babylon, but it's called Iraq. A lot of people think that that's God taking Iraq and going to throw it into the ocean and stuff like that, and it possibly could be. The thing that we're not clear on is exactly what we're seeing, but here's what we are clear on, okay? If we can be dogmatic about anything today, is that the results of this thing happening. We may not be clear on what John is seeing. We may not understand and we try to put our own spin onto it because we look backwards most of the time at history to kind of explain things and give an illustration. Thank God we're not John trying to tell this story and looking at something and being dogmatic and knowing exactly what it is when we don't know what it is either, amen? But one thing we can be dogmatic about is this right here. Whatever it was that was thrown into the sea, the Bible says that the third part of the oceans became his blood. You say, Brother Steve, I just can't believe that. We can believe that. You say, how could we believe that? Because we already have a historical account of this very thing happening. We already have a historical account of rivers turning into blood. The Bible tells us this is very similar again to what? One of the plagues of Egypt. What was the plague? It was the very first plague that came against Egypt was that the rivers were turned into blood there and Pharaoh saw these things happening. And the death and the fish and all of those things that were in it, they all died. The Bible says a third part of the creatures that were in the sea that they had life, they died and the third part of the ships were destroyed. Keep remembering over and over, it's a third, a third, a third, a third. Now look at this third trumpet that's ringing out. The Bible tells us in these next verses that this third trumpet that's ringing out, that it comes and it attacks or it rings out against the waters. You say, Brother Steve, 
You're talking about the same thing. No, we talked about that that was the salt waters, the oceans. But look at verse number 10. The Bible says, The third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven. It says, Burning as it was a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of the waters. When looking at this, we could say, Well, what do you think that was, Brother Steve? Again, we don't know exactly what was falling. It could be a meteor. It could be an asteroid. It could be anything of that. It could be something that comes to the earth and hits the earth. Actually, we know that because the Bible says that it falls upon those waters. But look at what it says that we know that happens. It fell upon the third part of the waters and of the fountain of waters. But then look at the results. It says that the name of this star, that's why we believe it may be an asteroid or something. But it says it has a name. And you say, Brother Steve... Why would it have a name? Well, the same way that your husband or your boyfriend went years ago and had a star named after you because they love you. You know what I mean? And, and you, you have this plaque at home and it says that you have a star in the heavens that are named after you. you know? uh, not only that, some people think, well, it could be pastors because the Bible says the pastors are the stars, the seven stars in his hands, right? You know, I'm a star. But looking at it, it's using an illustration, but listen, listen to me. He's not using an illustration that, that's just something that could be. You say, well, what do you mean? There are times that Jesus gave parables in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And when he gave parables, he says there was a certain man. He said a certain man had two sons that, you know, that one of them he said would go work in my field. One of them said yes, and then he didn't go. And the other one said no, and then he did go. He repented and went. But then there are certain times that Jesus gives parables, and he says that there was a certain rich man, and there was a beggar by the name of Lazarus that laid at his gate and he was real specific about hey this is not just some fairy tale or a parable that's with a heavenly meaning no 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 this is a true story this is an accurate account and looking at this word right here wormwood I know that it kind of takes you and makes you want to go to the C.S. Lewis books or something you know what I mean uh, the screw tape letters or the lion and the witch and the wardrobe you know kind of thing but we shouldn't do that what we should do is take the word that we see in the book of Revelation do a word search in our Bible, right, or in our Bible apps that you may have today, and we look and go, what is Wormwood? Now listen, don't go and ask Google Rabbi, okay, or Rabbi Google. Just go and look in your Bible where this word Wormwood comes from. You're going to find out that about seven or eight times in the Old Testament, the word Wormwood was used. But the reason it's capitalized this time is because it's speaking of something specific. It is a pronoun or noun that actually carries weight of something that says, no, I saw this, and it is wormwood. It has a certain uh, uh, accountability to it, and it hits the earth, and it says, and then all of a sudden, a third part of all of the fresh waters became wormwood. What is wormwood? If you go and search and look it up in the Old Testament, you'll find out every single time that it is used, it's like a natural plant or natural bush that grows up, but that is really bitter. And that the children of Israel were oftentimes, they would use wormwood, that bush or that small tree, as an illustration of someone being bitter. Just look to somebody next to you and say, how are you doing, Mr. Wormwood or Mrs. Wormwood, right? It's true. How many of you love Thanksgiving time and all the pies, sweet potato pies and good stuff like that? Come on, y'all this morning. I can tell you, eat them. Pecan pies. Anybody like pecan pie? If you're from a little bit further up, pecan pie, which is the wrong way to say it. But anyway, listen, hey, there's nothing like pecans. Everybody loves pecans, right? Until that devilish thing that is in between them 
You eat the pecans and you go, oh, these are so good. These are so wonderful. And the next one you pop in your mouth has that small little crease of whatever that it is from the devil has to be. And it's caught, it has to be. You say, why, Brother Steve? Because the fruit of that pecan is so wonderfully blessed. And anything that would divide that would have to be sinful and of Satan. And it divides them, okay? Satan divided us from God. And that thing and that pecan divides us from having a good time. Because when you get one, it gets into this area of your mouth. You know, it doesn't, look, it hits your tongue. But this is the area that hurts. Because it's bitter. And it just makes you go, ugh. You know what I mean? And sometimes me and Patty use that. We say, um, pecan, um, pecan, because they're bitter and angry. Don't get mad at me. And uh, so now that you know our secret, we'll have to come up with something else. Wormwood. Wormwood would be good. It was bitterness. The Bible says that bitterness was cast to the earth, and many of the people, all humanity, men and women, they died because the waters were made bitter. Doesn't that remind you of something? It reminds you of that plague also that hit the earth. Listen, it's similar to the first plague again, that the people could not drink of the waters because they were blood, because they would die. The Bible shows us these things. Here's the last one. That fourth trumpet that is blown against the earth. The Bible says in verse number 12, And the fourth angel sounded. It says, And the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, and the third part of them was darkened. And the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. The fourth trumpet rings out against the lights that are the things that help us to do what? To navigate. You know what the Bible says about darkness? Let me share something with you. Vance Havner, an old Baptist preacher, once said it also. But Vance Havner preached a message called Getting Used to the Dark. And it's a lot of times talking about Christians getting used to sinful things. Why, why does God use light and darkness in the Bible to be this illustration for us? The Bible says in 1 John that what fellowship hath light with darkness. You know what I mean? The same, uh, he says that we can't have fellowship with good and evil together. It can't be mixed. It's oil and water. And uh, Jesus also tells us something about light and darkness. What does he say? He says that men love darkness rather than light because why? Their deeds are evil, their actions and what they do. Uh, most of your break-ins, you know, are usually in the darkness. It's set in the darkness of night. Sometimes now we understand that evil is getting this new face, that it's getting so brave that it does it even in the daytime. Uh, but most of the time when evil happens, when does it happen? When you're not home, when you're away. And, and uh, people like to lurk around and to do those things. The Bible says that a third part, listen, that says the sun is smitten, the moon moon is smitten. It says a third part of the stars. You remember the Bible tells us they will fall out of their places. Now I know that you're looking at me this morning and you're going, Brother Steve, these things are crazy and I just really don't know if I believe in all of that stuff that's going to take place. I, I would encourage you, listen, not to stick around to see it actually take place. I would encourage you to say, listen, I, I'm going to surrender to the Lord now. Uh, yesterday we had big meteor showers that were going by the earth, you know, uh, last night. They said after midnight you could see them. And I think that they told us that you could see up to 20 per hour. So if you were up past midnight last night and out in the country and stuff, you could have seen all through the night. They said it would last all through the night that these meteors were coming by. And man, what a wonderful thing to see. Well, think about it. Think about when those things take a curve and they come into the earth. Think about when the stars fall out of the skies, out of the heavens, and they fall to the earth. And they actually come and cause havoc upon this earth. The Bible says that the days are going to be dark during the tribulation. And not just spiritually dark. Listen to me. They're going to be naturally dark. 
The Bible says, why? Because a third portion of the sun will not shine. In other words, what it's talking about, church, is that when you look up at the sun, it's not saying that God's going to block out one-third of it as it's eclipsed. What it's talking about is you're only going to have daylight for only two-thirds of what we actually have all the time now. And you say, well, I wonder what that would be like, Brother Steve. Much like now when we set our clocks back. Everybody goes to bed at 8 o'clock. Anybody like this time of year besides my wife? Huh? We like, you know what happens? The grass starts dying out. Leaves start falling. It gets, it get, what happens to there? It gets colder because we have what? We have less of the light upon us doing all. Listen, think about when only two-thirds of it will shine. When two-thirds of the moon. Think of the evil that will be upon the earth if we give them one more third of time in order to do their evil deeds. That's what the scripture is getting at. It says that this stuff is going to happen. These trumpets that are going to blast, all of these things we've talked about this morning, church, listen, they're all dealing with natural things. It says that it will burn the grass, it will burn the trees. It says it will affect what? It will affect the seas. They will turn to blood. A third of them will turn to blood. You think for a moment, what's happening in the tribulation that we've talked about already? The Antichrist is going to be in charge. He's going to be in governmental charge. He's going to have charge of accounts. And you're going to have to receive the mark of the beast, Sister Jennifer, in order to get food, in order to get supplies, and all those other things. Now think for a moment. Here you are. You probably think that you're like these doomsday people and that you know so much about farming and you know so much about building and so much about going off grid and getting in a cave and you know taking a rat and cooking it and stewing it like Shrek and all that and that you're going to survive through all of these things. Let me tell you something then you're mistaken. Because what's happening is, is God's judging the earth. And what is God doing with the earth? God is pulling back one-third of everything the earth has. So now take everything that you think that you're going to do if you're here during the tribulation time, how you're going to farm, how you're going to hide, how you're going to go off-grid, how you're going to do all these things. Now take a third of that all away. See, what God's doing is showing you that you as sinful people, you and I as sinful people, if we have rejected Jesus Christ, we have depended on our own means, on our own strength, on our own ability, on our own finances and everything else, always. And you know what God's going to do? God's going to say, hey, not only is Satan going to be in charge of that, but I'm going to withdraw all of my blessings from heaven. I'm going to withdraw all of my blessings that I've created the sun to do, the moon to do, the stars to do. I'm going to pull back all of these things, moving back that portion of the sun. Listen, understanding that plants will not grow in the proper way that they need to. Pulling back that portion of the moon, understanding that tides and all kinds of oceans will be affected by that. Pulling back that, listen, the third of the sea is turned to blood. The majority of our fisheries that go out into the ocean supply us with fish and supply us with food. Listen, a third of all of that goes gone and with a third of that gone by the hand of God listen and the other two-thirds being in charge and being ruled by Satan and the Antichrist how you think you're going to make it brother Steve I just think that I would No, what God is showing you is this right here you cannot make it without him God's trying to teach us in these first four trumpets everything attacks the natural things that we know but everything that is attacked naturally on this earth affects who? Men and women died because they could not drink the waters. 
Men and women died because the waters were bitter and they could not drink. Men and women died because they could not consume the fish of the sea. Why? Because a third part had turned to blood. Men and women died because why hell and fire and blood mingled together was falling down upon them. Men and women died. Why? Because last of all, the Bible says that in that fourth trumpet, it says that even the stars and the sun and the moon quit shining. God's trying to tell you today, that you've spent your whole life trying to do it without him. And when you do that, and you make it to this time of tribulation, that you're actually going to try to depend upon that even more so that I can make it through. Look at all of our movies made by Hollywood that deal with end times. The one that's out in Los Angeles with the earthquake, what is it? Was called San Andreas or something like that. Got the rock in it, I think. You know what? It's all about what? Oh, you're going to have this devastating thing and the earth is going to open up and people are going to die except for Rock. He's never going to die, right? And then all of a sudden, he's going to come in in a helicopter, I think, and he's going to save everybody right at the nick of time because all power is in you and within us. But see, God's showing us in these first four trumpets today, pay attention, listen to me, is that you can't depend on yourself. And while you think you may go off in some bunker and go off grid, you're not going to be able to hide, and there's no bunker that's deep enough to hide from God and his judgment when it comes to the earth. He's teaching us that. So here's the thing. The Bible says those four trumpets, wouldn't you agree with me this morning that those are bad? Wouldn't you agree with me that if we were here and we saw a third of the ocean where dead fish and animals and Whales and sharks were floating because of the blood, because of the stain, because of all of the death that's in it. You say, oh, Brother Steve, I just don't know if that could happen. You know, just a few months back, it, it happened up here at the Luxembourg. There was fish floating everywhere, right? All over the place. Listen, and those are man-made disasters. Those are man-made things. What about when God's judgment comes? You know, we can't doubt that. We can't believe in the virgin birth and him dying for our sins and not believe the whole Bible. These things are horrible, but I want you to look at this next thing. The Bible says that there are three more trumpets that are more severe that remain. That's hard to imagine. There's three that are left that are actually going to be worse than the first four. The Bible says in verse number, thir uh, verse number 12, or 13, it says, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, look at this, Whoa, whoa. Whoa. You know what woe is? That's not what you tell your donkey or, or, your, or your horse. No. -uh. That's not what you tell your kids whenever they run into the kitchen and going to touch a stove. Whoa, no. No, it's, it's a lamentation. It's a cry out of lament. It's a cry out of just, it's, it's unbearable grief that you can't explain the word, Brother Mitch, and it comes out as woe. It's a warning, but a weeping warning. And I want you to look at what the Bible explains. It says that the angel that was heard, an angel, where is it at? It's just flying through the midst of heaven. Actually, if you look up this word for angel, it is not the same word that we've used to describe angels that are blowing this trumpet, angleos, which means messenger. No, it's a different word. It's actually a word that's translated eagle. And you say, well, Brother Steve, well, that's just crazy. That just messes the whole thing up. No, it doesn't. If you go back with me to Revelation chapter 4, you'll understand that in the throne room that there were four great mighty angels called living creatures that were standing before the throne. One had the face of what? It had the face of an eagle flying, right? 
It says that it looked as an eagle flying. And here is that f- one of those four living creatures that are flying before the throne of God. Listen, and they are telling all of the inhabitants of heaven first what's going on. Their woes, woes, woe. And then what does it say? It says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpets of the three angels which are yet to sound, which are about to sound. You think about it for a moment. This angel is declaring woes, not because of being grieved by what will happen. No, but because of the severity and the, the strength of these next three trumpets that are going to blow against the earth. Look at the words that this angel said that John wrote down. It says, woe to who? Not to heaven, to the inhabitants of the earth. When you translate that down, you understand it as this way. Not people who just live there as an inhabitor or someone who inhabits that. No, but it's actually translated as people who live for the earth. It's translated, woe unto those people who are living all for what only earth can give them. Woe to them who trust what? In their power, their strength, their finances. Woe to them who trust in what they think that they can overcome. Woe to them who think that they can actually stop and survive all of the earthquakes that will happen. All of the judgments that will come. God says, woe. Do you know what? We live in a society today. Not just in the United States. It is more prevalent here. But everyone is trusting in everything they've stored up. Everyone is trusting in everything they stored up. And I want to tell you something. As nice as I can tell you is that you store up everything you can. And what that means is someone else is going to get it. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. I'm not telling you that it's wrong to store up. But I'm telling you that the Bible says that you should store treasures in heaven. The Bible says in Colossians, set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. And what happens is, is that you live only for this earth. We live for titles. We live for degrees, we live for prestige and position, and then all of a sudden, ask any of these older silver-haired people that are in this church today, go home and ask your grandparents if they're still here, what really matters? Ask them what really matters. I'm pretty sure the answers that they give you, if they're Christian, is going to be the main thing that matters is that you know Christ is your Savior. What about what else? Granny, what else? Papa, is that your family? goes with you to heaven. You want to leave a legacy? Then leave a legacy of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their lives. He says three more trumpets are going to sound, and it's going to be worse than those first four. You know, there's a huge resemblance that's going on. And I'm Brother Brandon, you and Andrew, go ahead and come. But there's a huge resemblance that's happening in these scriptures this morning. You know what the resemblance is? You look in that background, you see the pyramids and stuff. The striking resemblance is this right here, that in those first four trumpets, it's almost like we're seeing Egypt and the plagues being put back on them again. And if you understand Egypt in the Bible, since we learned about it in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, as they exited out of Egypt, all the way through, Brother Bo, to the, all the way to the book of Revelation, Egypt has always been used as a worldly, sinful system that we come out of. Basically, that they set the pattern for all of sinful things and that we come out of that. 
You know, in all of those plagues, do you remember the ten plagues that were there? I'll read them to you. The, first of all, number one, the water turned to blood. Number two, they had frogs that came. Number three, lice and gnats that came. Flies that came. Yes, flies. They came out of the pits of Hades, and they went into Egypt, and there they are forever. I hate flies. Listen, the fifth one was this, pestilence upon livestock, boils that came on the people's bodies. Listen, hail and lightnings in the seventh one that came down, locusts that came down. You know what the ninth plague was? You know what the ninth plague was on the children of Israel? Darkness. That the sun and the moon and the stars closed themselves and darkness affected them. You know what the last one was? Sure, you know what that one was. It was that every firstborn would die. Every firstborn child of them, everyone that... And what happened? God said, children of Israel, get a lamb, paint the post and the lintel of your door, and the death angel will pass by you. It seems like God is saying, listen, the same way that I judged Egypt long ago is I'm going to judge the world. God says, I'm going to judge the world even later. Don't you find your Bible fascinating? I mean, if it ain't got 40 pounds of dust on it and you just bring it to Sunday morning service. But... Don't you find the Bible fascinating that we started out with this group of people that were called Egyptians and the children of God were pulled out of there and they were pulled out in such a way that what did they do? The Bible says they crossed across dry ground through the Red Sea. And what is that a symbol of? The book of Hebrews says it was like a baptism to them. They were coming out of sin and they were coming underneath the shadow of that. And listen, those walls of water that were over them, they came out through that to a new land being a new people. And God has always used that, Brother Jack, as doing what? We came out of sin, and we are now brought into the glorious light of Jesus Christ. There's a huge resemblance that's going on there. Let me show you this final resemblance. If you look at this, no, it's not a fire pit in my backyard. First of all, my backyard doesn't have palm trees and the Red Sea. But if you look at this, this is a well. And as we were talking earlier, it's not a fish well, W-H-A-L-E. No, it is a well, a water well. When the children of Israel... Came through the Red Sea. You got to think about it. They were running from Pharaoh's army. What are you going to be? Thirsty. Come on. Just natural. Thirsty. You know, Andrew Abney was so thirsty yesterday, he told me, he said, Dad, we've passed six stores. Let's get a drink. Thirsty. You're going to be thirsty. Why? He was thirsty from blowing a kazoo for an hour in my truck. I'm convinced that that was the 11th plague. The children of Israel get out of the Red Sea, and immediately they come to this place, and they reach down, Brother Mitch, and they're drawing these, this water out. But the water is bitter. The name of the place is Mara, M-A-R-A-H, and it actually means bitterness. And Sister Patricia, they couldn't drink the waters because of the bitterness, because they would have gotten sick and they would have died. But the Bible says that God told Moses he gave him a remedy. And he gave him a solution. He said, Moses brought, in Exodus 15, 22 through 27. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And it says, they went three days into the wilderness, and they found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord, looked. The Lord showed him a tree. And when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance. And there he proved them and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do 
that which is right in his sight and will give ear unto his commandments and keep all of his statutes. He says, I will put none of these diseases upon you, talking about those plagues. He says, which I have brought uh, upon the Egyptians. He says, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Do you know what God did? God caused a remedy. God said, I'm going to give you the solution to the problem. And the solution to the problem is going to be a, a tree. The Bible says that Moses took that tree and threw it into the well. And when he threw that tree into the well, that the bitter waters became sweet. The Bible says to you and I today, if you take the person who hung on a tree and apply him to the bitterness of your life, that he will take those bitter waters and he will give you living waters. He will make them fountains of living water. You say, I, I don't know about that, Brother Steve. I don't, I don't trust you. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body, where? On the tree. That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. The Bible says that if you'll take that tree and allow it to be in your life, living waters will come. You know what's so great about the Exodus story? When they came through the waters and they came to that bitterness and Moses threw that little bitty tree in there and waters became sweet and they drank and was able to do that. And then all of a sudden Moses said, God's told me to tell you and to make a covenant with you and a promise to you and to tell you this statute, this law, that if you'll keep his word and if you'll walk in his ways, that he will give you so much water, so much water, you won't be able to put it in any bucket. And you say, Brother Steve, do you think that really happened? Yes, the Bible says in that last verse 27 of Exodus, it says, And they came to Elim, it says, where there were twelve wells of water and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. The Bible says that God took them from the bitter waters of Marah and brought them to the beautiful sweet wells of Elim. And whenever they came there, there were so many palm trees to sit down and relax and have shade under and enough water to drink for all of them. And what I'm telling you is the same thing that Jesus told an old bitter woman in chapter 4 of John. He said, yes, it's true. You don't have one husband. Oh, but you've had five. And you're living with a man now. But Lord, they say we should worship in this mountain, ma'am not about where you worship and you don't really understand it all because true worship is of the Jews anyway and those that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth ah you must be a prophet and I know you're a great man or you may be the Messiah I know the Messiah will come one day and he looked in her he says the one that's talking with you I am the Messiah it's he and he said ma'am if you'll drink of this water you'll never thirst again what do you mean by that I'll never have to draw again no if you drink of this water, you'll be changed from the inside out, and you'll be satisfied forever. And what Jesus was telling that woman, he said, within inside of you, there will be an artesian well, a fountain of living water that will never run dry. It says springing forth. And listen, what that means is, is not only will you be satisfied for life, but you know what? You can go back into the city and tell that man you're living with the same story. You know, you can go back into the city and tell all of those other guys and those other women that are in that city this same gospel, and they can have some of that water that you have. What's wonderful about it is that you can have wonderful peace today and enough to satisfy your soul, but it could also spill over to your kids, Brian. It could also spill over to your parents. It could spill over to your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife. It could spill over to your coworker.
because it's living water that comes out of you. Let God take that bitterness that you got this morning. You know what I'm talking about? You're mad at something. You're mad at church. You're angry at God because something's going on. You don't understand it. That's, people do that. We do that. Listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not beating anybody. That, you're, you're human. We're all human. Right? I mean, there may be a couple of weird aliens in here, but we're all really human. People get mad. People get angry at church. You know what? Bitterness can set up. You know what it's called? Wormwood. Bitterness. But God can take your bitter waters and make them sweet again. He can do that. Christian, look at me. You think I'm talking about somebody that may be lost. No, 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 no. I'm talking to you too. It can be you. Bitterness. God can say, come take a drink. Come take a drink. Let me say this last thing and I'll close. How's your prayer life? And how's your study life? How's your prayer life and how's your study life? If you don't have it, that's the bitterness. That's the root of bitterness. You remember what it was like when you couldn't get enough of the Word of God? To where it was like you, listen, you didn't wait on Sunday to have your Bible open. You, you, you were in it on Monday. Oh, a Monday Bible study. You know it? Even sometimes you woke up, went and grabbed your Bible and read it. Or, or you woke up and talked to God. But see, I don't understand where my bitterness is coming from. I do. I do. See, so how do you know? You watching me? No. Because I know where mine comes from. It comes from not having a prayer life and having study life and not taking a sip of that water that we're always trying to give everybody else. Amen. You know, the invitation time is probably the most important time in church. We come to church and we worship. We, we come here today to lift our hands and to say, Lord, you're worthy. We have victory in Jesus. We come here today. Brother Brandon came here to share a song with you about the old rugged cross still makes the difference. It, you know, we're here today to worship the Lord. But during the invitation time, that's all for you. It ain't for the preacher. A lot of times I turn around and look the other way because I don't want to be affected by it. I don't want to look because it's your time. The invitation time is for you to come just like I do at times and go, Lord, you know what? You spoke to me today. You really gripped me and you grabbed a hold of my heart. Lord, I just want to tell you I'm sorry. I want to ask you to forgive me of not having a prayer time, having study time. Lord, I want you to help me. Lord, I want you to take this bitterness out, flush it out of my life. You do that this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you. God, as always, the invitation time is yours. Lord, the invitation time is for all of us. We ask you, Lord, to please speak the only way that you can. And that's straight to the heart of men and women, boys and girls. That only you can do that. In Jesus' name. If you would, I want you to stand this morning with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Brother Brandon's going to sing. As he